sit down, buckle up, and thanks for tuning into this week's drive-in double feature of the Hauntsville Cryptcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Pet Cemetery and us. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. I'm Anna. And this is the Hauntsville Cryptcast. <laughs> and you know Luke is going to start the intro after you do that, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think we got really lucky this time around because with Anna being in England uh, and Doza and I being in the U.S., um, we don't get a lot of the same release dates for things. And in fact, sometimes Anna won't even get a release date at all for certain films. But uh, I got to spend some time over in England with Anna and we had a chance to see both us and Pet Cemetery in theaters. And here in the U.S., before I left, Doza and I got to see us in theaters. Yeah, dude. And as soon as I got back, like the day of, we went to go see Pet Cemetery. Yeah, we, we sniped you, grabbed you from the plane, jet lagged and all. Um, did, so did Pet Cemetery come out in England before here? Uh, later release than you guys. Um, and for some reason, Australia and England got uh pet cemetery released before you guys i have no idea why i think it's really only on a technicality that england got it before the u.s because in the u.s we used to do midnight releases and then we've had some unsavory incidents in movie theaters which have led to a lot stricter regulations on late night movie showings and now they'll do like an eight o'clock and a 10 o'clock showing the night before a film is supposed to be released. Um, so technically, it probably would have come out here in the U.S. April 4th at eight or 10 o'clock p.m. Um, meanwhile, in the U.K., it was just April 4th. We're good to go. That's awesome. I And I'm, I'm glad that you guys got to experience it together because um, if it hadn't come out that day early, you would have you would have missed it, right? with her yeah I, I would have i don't think anna would have gotten a chance to see it and uh, i would have seen it when i got back with you guys that worked out I, I used to love doing like a midnight release for just like anything i would just go uh they used to do it for everything that came out and i didn't even realize that it had been phased out until i like became an old person i thought it was just like i i got cranky and grumpy and went to bed before the movies and i was like oh i'll go see it on the monday afternoon they uh, still do it for certain films here, but it's more like things like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Like, like the big blockbusters? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. They did a good job of kind of phasing that out very naturally for us here. Like, we were able to not feel like these midnight showings were taken away from us by having the 10 o'clock and the 8 o'clock showings. So, um, well, we all got to see it. Yeah. Which was uh, good. <laughs> very very unusual for us i think yeah, um, yeah. It, it it's a, it's been a good couple of months for for horror releases and there's some stuff coming up uh over the next few months and during the summer that i'm really looking forward to so like this is the time for horror um which is is interesting we usually get like later in the year releases yeah we get a lot of october and halloween releases but this is like the spring of horror for us it might be relative to like it's like getting closer and closer into the mainstream uh, 
partially due to maybe even Jordan Peele's uh, get out from last year or two years ago. Yeah, I definitely think Jordan Peele, Guillermo del Toro, they're doing a great job in making sure that horror is getting recognized, even to the point where when Jordan Peele released Us, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, last year, two years ago? I think it's 2017. 2017, 2017 uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out was uh, awarded for Best Comedy. If you've seen Get Out, it's not funny. It has funny moments in it, but it's not a comedy. And so it's like very by the book, a horror film. Um, it's got some strict social commentary in there that like really points a finger at a lot of the hypocrisies that we have still in society today. But when he released Us, he tweeted, Us is a horror film. That was it. Just one Which sentence. Is- us is a horror film because the thing is like at least he recognizes that and it's the same with del toro as well like when del toro won um i can't remember what he won the shape of water yeah but when he did like his acceptance speech he even said like this is a horror film and also you should recognize people like john carpenter and stuff like that like he gave a shout out to the fact that like horror needs to be recognized and that's our one uh, per episode. You guys squeezed him in real early this time. <laughs> Gotta get it out of the way all so right. we don't get derailed later. Let's get culture in there. But all in all, I'm definitely glad to see us getting earlier release horror, horror throughout the year. And as Pet Cemetery and us are concerned, good horror. I'm glad we're getting some good horror films out there. Yeah, I'm. I, there's definitely going to be tons of people that disagree with us. I loved both of these movies. Uh, and to have them come out back to back uh, and also the same month that uh, an Avengers movie is coming out and having being in the theaters at the same time, that's like you don't see that. That's where all like the throwaway stuff, like people don't want to compete with these things. And here we are um, with uh, us at the very least, like breaking box office records and making making these lists and topping the charts and that that's unprecedented. And I'm eternally grateful did either of you read the Pet Cemetery book? Yes. I have not. I uh, it's probably it's been over like probably like ten years since I've read it. I I love the book. Uh, I loved the the first movie, even though it has its shortcomings. It's it's definitely very very cheesy, but I thoroughly appreciate that uh, this and respect it as a sort of reimagining. It's got. Uh, similar elements, but it takes it into a different direction in certain aspects, and that is what I think like a good, not necessarily reboot. What's the word I want to say? Remake. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily like a, a remake. It's it's a reimagining, like I said, and I think that's the way to do it because I'm tired of seeing just like oh, this is what the original did over and over again. I don't want like a shot for shot remake. I wanted to to add to my movie going experience, and this was different enough that it is more or less its own movie. And I I think I like this a little bit better than the original. I'm I think the thing to is that, like, with most of the remakes that we've had, at least in the last decade, it's either been a complete word-for-word retelling or it's been a reimagining that's destroyed anything about the original. Like, they've just taken a slight pinch of what, the original was and twisted it into something that doesn't isn't even recognizable as the original anymore and 
I'm the first whenever something comes out and it's going to be a remake. I'm not one of these people who's like, I'm not going to watch it. It's already shit because it's a remake. I just kind of ignore it because if I don't feel something needs to be remade, I generally won't watch it. But I also won't say it's terrible or anything because I haven't watched it. I can't say that. But with this, I was really apprehensive because the original Pet Cemetery, I absolutely adore. It came out the year that I was born. It's like always been with me. Um, <laughs> and even though I love the book, I thought that like there was so much of the original movie that I thought was amazing, even though it wasn't true to the book. I mean, even in our Dog Math episode, I talked <laughs> about like so much I love about Pet Cemetery, but. When I saw the trailer, which I was trying to avoid, but I had to see it because when we sat down to watch Us, obviously the trailer came on right beforehand. And I was like, okay, I'm actually kind of excited because this looks like the feel of what I imagine when I read the book. Um, And then when I saw the remake, I was just more than anything. It wasn't even that. I think it's a great movie, but it wasn't even that. It was just the shock that I loved a remake for the first time in since like the thing i was just like wow a remake that i really actually love and like think was done well that was the shock for me can we clarify real quick that you like the remake of the thing as in john carpenter's version of the thing that came from the 50s film the thing yeah and not the 20. 12 2011 2011 remake oh of the no thing. sorry i completely prequel that existed prequel it happens before, during, and after. Dumb. Bad okay. and wrong. I completely forgot that that even existed because that is genuinely one of my selective memory things. I No, I have ignored that. I haven't actually watched it, but um, I'm not going to watch it. It could have been um, good. They made all the practical the effects thing, and then threw them out. One of the <laughs> thing is one of the most perfect movies in existence to date. And you can't remake it. You can't make a prequel. You can't do anything to it. It just is standalone and it's preserved and it should be in like a glass box of just like don't fucking touch this movie because it's perfection and you that's how i treat my blu-ray it's like if someone wanted to remake the exorcist you just can't do it there's a glass box around it that says like you fucking try you're gonna fail but you know what with that in mind and the uh, emphasis on things like practical effects both original pet cemetery and this pet cemetery oh so good did an incredible job when focusing on doing things practically i got yucked out real hard the, a lot of this movie oh my god yeah uh we went when doza and i saw it with my younger brother vin who <laughs> uh had his eyes covered that for poor so boy. much of the film uh, it is very this is an aesthetically commanding film like it is visual and visceral from the procession of kids in animal masks, which is an image that will forever be burned in my mind, to the iconic ankle slashing scene throughout both Pet Semataries, but so good. Oh, it it was so much worse this time. I I grabbed Anthony and I went, it's the ankle scene. And and I was like, sort of cringing already. And then I was like, oh, they're not going to do it. And then suddenly it was like, Joom, and I was like, oh my god, they made it worse. <laughs> in 89 Pet Cemetery, it was like uh, a knife through clay, which was just like so smooth enough to make it unsettling. But this, there's like a crack and a split, and, and John Lithgow rip. explodes out of the back of his heel. 
and I I was sitting in between Anthony and Vinny, and I grabbed the both of them, and eyes glued onto the screen. Vin was looking away, but I was so in this moment. It, it made me feel, like, physically unwell, which is, like, that's... Mark of good practical yeah. horror. It's not gory for the sake of gory. It's done its job in making us cringe because it's realistic. Even on the note of Pascal, Pascal never registered for me in the original film. To the point where like I turned to Anna in the middle of this one and I was like, I'll remember him. Like at all. He's my favorite yeah, part of the I was original. Like, That's what I said. I yeah. said. He's my favorite part of the original. And he was like, No, I don't remember him. And I was like, Oh, now, I will say he still doesn't do it for me in the new Pet Cemetery. I think he's a waste I of a character. I prefer him in the original. But, yeah. I mean, he's, he's in the book as well. Like, he's quite important to the book. Because in the book, I, he's sort of, well, he does play the same sort of role. He's just like a sort of foreshadowing of like, don't, don't do this. I would assume, knowing Stephen King's writing, that Pascal with all the universes tied together is the shiner element of pet cemetery yes very much so i get that i appreciate that i do feel like his character though is from a directorial stance underestimating the audience i feel like pascal is there to tell us the things that are already happening in front of us and i don't think we need that but the effects for pascal's death were Mm -hmm. Gross. (laughs) They did an amazing job with that in this one. Yeah. Like, you you genuinely felt like when he was like retching, you were sort of retching with him. Like, oh, how can you like compose yourself in that moment to work on him when that's what you're seeing? Joseph put it to me. He goes, Yeah, in the original, Pascal was kind of like Pascal the friendly ghost, and now he's some (laughs) kind of gross ghoul. Yeah, like he, whatever that car that hit him destroyed him this time around. Like, I, I get it. Like, they had to have his iconic, like, oh, his head is cracked open. But when the nurse is going off, like, oh, I can see his brain. And the doctor's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, right with you, bud. <laughs> but on, on Pascal as a character in, in Pet Cemetery proper, uh, the original. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> uh, he... He was more, uh, he was much more of a character and he was kind of like with the audience and uh, with Lewis every step of the way. And I, I thoroughly appreciate that. And I, I got to to really, you know, enjoy him as a character because he was very, you know, cavalier and he's the ghost of a man who just died and he is choosing to not rest and instead, you know, guide this man and say like, look, like death is death and you need to, you need to accept that. Like, I know you're making a mistake here, man. And he's like, well, I'm just a ghost. Like, I can't tell you what to do, but here's just my two cents. And that, I I love that as a character. Like he's not spiteful. He's uh, a guiding spirit and entirely benevolent. And he, like, like Anthony said, like, you know, Pascal, the friendly ghost, he was just like a guy. And I, I love that that take on like you know death is just like the next thing and like here I am I'm dead now, but this in the the 2019 Pet Cemetery it was uh, he was more of an omen rather than uh, a guide, and yeah. I it just I felt like that took away and I, I the the performance was was done great and it was it was eerie but like I didn't need him 
like outside of like the first interaction with him dying on the table and mentioning that the the barrier must not be broken uh anything beyond that i i felt was was too much because he just either go full out with the character or leave it at that i don't know that, that that's just where where i am on on pascal i thought yeah, it was kind he of he wasn't rough. relatable that was the problem like he wasn't it, it just felt like someone standing there being like oh no don't go there in this one whereas like it was really clear in the original that he was like a guiding spirit he really was trying to warn them for their best interest not like oh no don't do that like that's how i felt in the yeah, new one to kind of like repay the 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 kindness that he showed him like oh you tried to save me like here's what little i can do now in death and this was just like how much of it is pascal the character and how much of it is this sort of just presence and i don't know it didn't Uh, didn't sit right pascal is so much just presence in this film and that's very clearly stated with gage's reaction to seeing pascal yes so much of pascal's performance and gage's performance rely on their being in the same proximity as one another first of all the kid who they got to play gage looks oh, that was so eerie. much like the kid who played gage in the original i was so sure when he, when he does the out. like rawr scene i was like oh my right? God, that's him exactly <laughs> i need same. that side by side i was so oh, expecting a not fair somewhere in this film that's exactly what i thought i was really oh, hoping ellie would get that was a, a missed opportunity oh, yeah yeah but uh in in terms of Gage and his performance alongside Pascal, yeah, in the original Pet Cemetery, Gage's performance relies on uh, basically a lot of ADR and the fact that everything happens for Gage after he's dead. But in this one where they pulled that switcheroo where it's Ellie instead of Gage who dies, Gage also imbues that shining element of a typical Stephen King story where he is almost acting as a conduit for Pascal when no one else will hear him out. So you have this child who is seeing this half-bloodied ghoulish figure and crying but trying to still relay a message, we need to go home, we need to see dad. For me, to get a child to, to have that kind of performance puts Gage in 2019 at a much higher standard than Gage in the original pet cemetery but again they they didn't really deliver with that whereas like ellie has uh, an extended interaction and we see more of the family like at the grandparents house um and she says oh there's there's a man here named pascal and she's been talking and interacting with him rather than just the one moment you see with gage and pascal in in 2019 and then it just like cuts to them and they're driving home yeah, that's fair. And I think that just like furthers my point of like what is the point of Pascal if he's just going to just pop in to little moments like that and leave no impact. It's honestly the same problem that I have with the Zelda storyline. It has never stuck for me. Yeah, I previous Pet Cemetery I, and I, I don't one. know, original Zelda and the original film, that image was haunting when I was a kid. Like that really shook the life out of me just seeing Zelda in the original. I get that, like, the connection wasn't made. It was sort of like... I, I found 
that Rachel in the original was very emotionless. Like, sorry to the actress, but like, <laughs> I just found her like so emotionless. So when she was telling the story of Zelda, which was just this one scene of her just going, oh, this happened. And then like him being like, oh, man, that sucks. Um, and there, that there's it. a lot but, of like, emotionless the... performance in the original Pet <laughs> Cemetery. Let's be real. Yeah, right no, down to the yeah, iconic definitely. awkward handshake. It's, it's very, yeah. everything is very numb which i don't know if that was a a choice that was made or if it just i think that was just uh that was just what happened in the year i was born that's what <laughs> 89 was like for acting yeah. just kind of winging um, it until the the upswing in the 90s yeah but the actual like imagery of zelda used to just completely haunt me when i was a kid. yeah like she was terrifying but what they did in this one is they tried to make the connection a little bit deeper, but they also didn't like. There's little things in the original that like tie back to Zelda without actually talking about Zelda, like you know, playing on the backstory of Rachel a bit more. When when Gage is dressed in you know that little cute suit with like the top hat and stuff, and everyone's like, "That's really random scene." Like it's not actually because there is a family portrait hanging up in an earlier scene from her house as when she grew up of that costume on someone and so it's obviously connected back to Rachel's phobias from leftover emotions from her childhood and that's why it's projecting onto Gage because her phobias are projecting onto Gage now that he's come back as this weird like demon child so they try and play on it a bit in the original it just obviously passes over everyone's heads Whereas in this one, they tried to explain it a bit more, I think. And it was it was pretty haunting, like, her in the little, um, what do you call it? The dumbwaiter. Yeah. Like, her all, like, raveled up in that. That was pretty horrible. Like, Yeah. I definitely feel like they made it more of a connection. And this 2019 Pet Cemetery was very much about grief. Through and through, from beginning to end all we're talking about is grief. So I was able to make that connection with the Zelda storyline this time around, but I really feel like it's one of those... Uh, the Zelda storyline is the reason why the Pet Cemetery book is so long. I imagine it makes more of an impact reading it rather than trying to fit it into the overarching story that's happening in the Pet Cemetery films. To be honest, in the book, it's not actually as detailed as it could be. For like what they make out to be quite a big deal with the whole Zelda thing, I feel like if even if it wasn't in the book, it would have still been the same length. <laughs> I don't think it's actually that important. I feel like they just wanted to give Rachel's character more depth than she actually had. I think it's more an afterthought storyline than it is something that's really needed for the actual story. That's how that's- I've always felt. It's definitely what it feels like. And you could just show more depth for her as a character just by watching her interactions with her husband and her family rather than like, oh, she has this haunting past. And like, I get that she does feel grief. She does feel guilt. But I didn't need it. It just felt kind of like shoehorned in. And I would have much rather have had the um, what's his name? Timmy Baderman from the original Pet Cemetery. I, I would have preferred that over the the zelda storyline because that's more like even though all it is is like sort of a word for word telling of what's to come like 
you know, they're going to come back like this and this is what's going to happen. Eventually you're going to have to end them sort of thing. Like it is, I, I feel like it's a stronger storyline with Timmy and his dad than, than Rachel's and Zelda story. Yeah. Cause it's like a direct connection with the, uh, the titular pet cemetery rather than just like, here's something that happened to me when I was a kid. And I just, I couldn't find uh, a good way for me to enjoy it. As much as I, I knock the Zelda storyline, I do, like, now that you put it the way you did, see a level of importance to have Rachel have a separate grief from what's happening in Pet Cemetery, Because it just goes to show that not everybody's grief is the same. Yeah. Not everybody's past is the same. Not everybody's past experience with death is the same. Which is why it's left... Lewis numb and just in a position where he can just question the afterlife, whereas Rachel is hard pressed to even talk about it and trying to hide the truth from Ellie becomes a major component in this. And I will say we do get a lot more of the family dynamic in this pet cemetery. And I think that comes from that choice of having it happen to Ellie rather than Gage. We get to know Ellie more when Ellie comes back. Basically, when Gage comes back, it feels like a plot device because he is just doing as an evil entity would. When Ellie comes back, this is somebody who feels that she's been personally wronged and needs to make right this situation and bring to light the truths of death. So I want to pose a question. Um, when when she comes back, is it Ellie? No. I say yes. I think it's because of her turning into Judd's wife Norma like which in the original book Norma's not dead so that's like <laughs> like you know that's not that's not a thing um but like in because they did that in this one I felt like she was just this presence of all dead that had been in like that they felt that they'd been wronged so I felt like, yeah, she was a little bit of Ellie, but I think through her actions and the way she was speaking, she was meant to be like this demon entity of all of the dead. I don't know. I, I agree with Anna. Um, I think like being like the, the process of being buried in the pet cemetery fills you with like spirit soup and you're like, uh, there may be bits of, of Ellie still in there, but it's, it's definitely not the same Ellie that went in. I don't, she wasn't even gone for that long uh is it i don't know how much of that is like she's tainted or if it's something else and they they mention um the wendigo very briefly in this to kind of like put some sort of like reason to it and like i have my own problems with that but the wendigo being a uh a representation of a a spirit that can possess a human being uh and make them into some sort of monster associated with murder insatiable greed and cultural uh taboos and behaviors so like it may i i don't i don't think it's ellie that's been corrupted i think it's something using ellie as sort of like a conduit yes i get that but i think just on the premise of who Ellie is and how much we got to know her, she retains a lot of that when she comes back. 
She retains a lot of her behaviors. She retains a lot of her memories. She retains a lot of her mannerisms toward her family. Um, she has very specifically pinpointed um, reasons for why she goes after each person that tie to her own personal grievings. Uh, I do think that Judd's wife was a poor plot device in this one. Mm -hmm. um, it's a wasted creature ability, I guess, because <laughs> like it only happens one time and there's no reason for it. Uh, I would have been perfectly happy if she had just had her monologue about how Judd's wife is burning in hell uh, and not turned into her. That would have been much more effective. Um, because now it just confuses what this creature is. Is it the spirit of the Wendigo because it can, you know, manifest in all these forms of death and grief? Is Ellie just some ghoul and emphasis on ghoul rather than something like a zombie? Oh, because, yeah, we got into an argument about this on the way yeah. out. There, she's definitely a ghoul. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, she maintains that level of sentience and knowledge that differs from any kind of other undead. Um, but she comes back with that lust to make others like her and that wonky eye oh my god i don't <laughs> oh know if my that god. was actress's that... ability or if it was i think that was prosthetic now. yeah it, it hangs but a little if low. it was a prosthetic then oh my god the makeup team made an amazing prosthetic because i was staring at the screen trying to find scenes trying to figure out how they I was did doing that. the same thing i was trying to oh figure my it out god. and the it was so effective for something so tiny on this it's so tiny, but it's so powerful. Like, it just, it's one of those lingering remembrances that this girl was hit by a truck. This is going to be forever wrong with her. We have the staples in the back of her head, um, the discoloration of her skin, the bruising in locations where she would have been hit more so than others. Um, and then the eye is just the icing on the cake. Yeah, I mean, she. I know where you're going with this, and I I think I agree. Yeah, I mean, like I I told I totally agree with where you're coming from. But for getting hit by a truck, she looks great. Yeah, she looks great. I was expecting well, more. Yeah. Uh, car but hits. to be fair, you, you guys have it's it's quite a common thing to have open casket funerals over there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's not here, so that's why I asked. <laughs> I still can't believe you guys have open casket funerals. We usually do it like for as a wake, so like uh, friends and family will come pay their respects. But at the funeral procession, where there's like a mass and everything, that'll be closed casket, box them up, ship them out. It's just like it's one more opportunity for people to kind of like say goodbye. That like if they weren't like around. So open caskets are like common over there. Um, so I'm assuming that I well. Yeah, I'm just assuming they would have had an open casket funeral for Ellie, and that means that they would have done a lot of reconstruction on her before she was buried. So I'm wondering whether that was the point. Like, she'd been fixed up. That's why she had the staples in her head. That's why, like, she was in that dress and everything, because she'd been fixed up as much as possible before he'd buried her. And so that's why she came back. For sure. Oh, yeah. But to be hit by a truck moving at that speed of that size, I'd expect a lot more crushing and tearing. But it looks well, like she wasn't she just hit got, by like, the truck. She was hit, hit by, by, like... It's the... still... That was a big trail. Yeah. It looks like it like, hit her and, like, 
she caught the edge of it and she went flying. So like maybe she broke her neck or something. Oh wait, but when he found her on the floor, then she wasn't all like she. No. she had her face was all intact and everything. Yeah. And he found her on the floor right after all she'd been that's hit. That's all so. I'm saying is I expected more damage oh, from yeah. a hit of that magnitude. Well, yeah, yeah in real life, yeah. Definitely. And the original, I'm amazing. Gage looked like <laughs> he came back and he was just gray. <laughs> he was adorable. <laughs> Got that little cut on his head. Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> oh, that little cut was adorable. He did. Gage, he was, Gage was the cutest like undead kid I've ever seen. I think it actually made him cute, which is something wrong with me. But like, no, I, I get it. Because he was more of like a character. Because it's like before that he's a baby, and then after that he's got like a a personality. Like, of course, it was like evil, but it was still something. And you're like, oh, you're like a little man. Yeah, Look at you in your little suit. I think if we're taking Gage's transformation into account, then it is less the idea of the people buried in the pet cemetery coming back as themselves and coming back as something else. Because Gage definitely doesn't come back as himself. But then he's also not as uncharacteristically demonic as Ellie is. I mean, Ellie's, when she comes back, she has a very big mix of the mannerisms that she had before as a child, almost as if she's playing on them to like trick them into accepting her still. Like she's, you're fully aware that she is not a child anymore. She's not herself anymore, but she'll just occasionally go back to like, I love you, daddy. Why don't you love me? Sort of things to try and trick him into like thinking it's still her. I think uh, a lot of that, like, she knows that he's vulnerable and she's playing on that, like, that vulnerability to, because he's on her side. And I, I, she does have this vendetta and vengeance, like, oh, she, where she wants to, to kill her mom as well. And that maybe, like, he is the means to get her back here. So, like, she's got to be, I got to put on this, like, good little girl act uh, as long as it benefits me. We've, we've knocked this movie. I have, one more negative thing i need to say before i could talk about how much i loved it i know <laughs> we went for so long and i was like i don't like this i don't like that but at the end of the day i did still love it the establishing shot at the the very top of the movie where they're doing the the shot of uh the forest and then the car and oh, then the shining room. the house yeah i like um but it is it is a shot of the events that take place at the end of the movie. And I personally did not need that. Nobody needed that. Um, we all like the movie very clearly shows everything that is going to unfold and even basically repeats that shot at the end to bookend it. But I would have been a okay watching this movie without, you know, an establishing shot to show that like, Hey, remember you're about to watch a horror movie. Yeah, there's been, like, a lot of that, and I, I don't know if that's is to, like, kind of soften the blow and get you into, like, the mentality a little bit, but, like, I think, like, I'm, I'm not a filmmaker, I'm just a guy with a fucking microphone. If they had taken just the scene of the, the car with the bloody handprint on it and just cut to that at the end, I, I would have been much happier rather than, like hear the car unlocking and then go to credits. I think it's, it would be that more of like a punch. It would be more impactful. Um, I definitely think that would have been a better ending. 
Yeah. Because, like, going in and seeing, like, because, like, right after that, um, it shows them and they're driving and, like, okay, that's the car. And, like, clearly something happens with the car. And we're probably, like, maybe 15 minutes away from the end of the movie. And then, what's his name? Lewis puts Gage in the car. I was like, okay, they're going to pull him out of it at some point and we're going to get back to that scene and it loses that that impact i think for me if i didn't see that ruined the ending for me but it it definitely took a little bit away from it and the the twist kind of lost a little bit of the punch i mean hell if we want to talk about that and losing impact in the scene where ellie gets hit they do this incredible build-up where we see Gage running toward the road. Oh my and god. If they had not spoiled that it was Ellie in the trailer and the posters and literally every piece of advertising, I would have believed that Gage was about to get hit and been that much more struck when it was Ellie instead. Yeah. After coming from yeah. having read the book and seeing the original Pet Cemetery, I that's been a problem with horror for me a lot lately, is where the trailers are ruining key moments. To, to get you into the theater and it just like that that bums me out and if i had gone in without that knowledge and then they pulled that switcheroo i would have been blown away and immediately like i am in this movie and i will die for this movie and then come back for this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would have been like the one of the, my favorite moments of like just film this year if i didn't know and they'd done that i would have just been like holy shit i cannot believe that this is the direction they're gonna go and it would just yeah it would have made the whole movie a lot better oh absolutely if we hadn't known that because i'd avoided the trailer up until three days basically or yeah you got got i would have still gone in to it thinking that gage was obviously going to be the one that dies so that would have been like the biggest shock for me ever um but having obviously seen the trailer i was like i had that little tiny shock moment briefly in the trailer like oh they're gonna kill ellie instead so so when it came to actually happening in the movie it wasn't an impact at all there was a brief impact during watching the trailer and i i thought like like going in and knowing that uh, and still having that build up with Gage, I was like, oh, are they going to double switcheroo us and just do both of them? That's why um, I And when it just like wasn't, and, like I had all this build up to no resolution and I just went, oh, I don't know. I, I think it was definitely a, a good choice to use Ellie in place of Gage, but I think it was executed really weird with the use of the trailers and with that build up in conjunction with one another. But Ellie is is so much more of a character. She can her being older gives an opportunity for her to have some sort of depth beyond what Gage is capable of, where she can question the nature of life and death as being like at that age where like she might start questioning these things. And it just, I, I liked her much more as, as being the, the one that has returned. that was interesting for yeah. me. I think Ellie was a, a strong and deliberate choice it it gave everything so much more intention moving forward and i think that that intention is what separates this pet cemetery from the original pet cemetery it's definitely one of the leading components that keeps me 
in favor of this film over the original. The original is always going to have a place in my heart, but this one went kind of above and beyond, even down to the three, four cats that played church. Four cats. Four cats that played church and the makeup names. team that focused on Two of them have Instagram accounts. Do you know which ones? Because uh, Will, Drake, Colby, and JD all played Church the Cat. I think JD is the one that went to the uh, red carpet. Oh, with his, his little, little tie. tie. Oh, I didn't yeah. see that. He had like a little tie with like a little collar. It's very cute. I'll have to send you a picture. Special fancy boy. But the, the attention to detail in this Pet Cemetery was remarkable. They had the four cats playing church. The makeup team focused on making sure that is very easy to distinguish between church when he is a good cat versus church when he's a bad cat. Bad boy. I think the personality and amount that we get to know the family in this one makes it that much more impactful rather than the kind of emotionless elements <laughs> of the original Pet Cemetery. You. I will say that Fred Gwynn is Judd. Oh. Like, I love John Lithgow. Like, I genuinely adore John Lithgow. But Fred Gwynn was Judd. Like, yeah. for and for, he was Judd. Yeah. He, John Lithgow, like, didn't have, like, the, the sort of, like, country vibe. He didn't have the country vibe, but he had the, like, almost caring pseudo-grandfather vibe. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he's such a good grandpa. Like, you're missing like those little things like don't go down that road like i I love (laughs) everything that fred gwynn says and i just thought he was perfect but like having read the book like he just he was completely the same character but you know what i think that uh brings up another difference that i enjoyed in this pet cemetery as well because in the first the original one it is very much like Judd is there to be that warning old man and he's just filled with warnings. Whereas this Judd is a little bit more tortured and almost while he's trying to warn them is also trying to trap them into his own motives because there's that enslavement to the power of the pet cemetery that's got a hold over him as well. That that was interesting. I, I love that as like a a sort of plot device where it's like once you pop, you can't stop. I love that because the atmosphere of the film was its own character. The Pet Cemetery was its own character. And through and through, like I said, this film is aesthetically commanding to have the woods and the cemetery and uh, Little God Swamp be their own whispering, nagging characters throughout the film. No element makes you feel safe or comfortable. This is a family moving into a new home and nothing surrounding them is safe. And like, I know I mentioned this a lot, probably about as much as you guys mention John Carpenter, <laughs> but in the 60s and 70s when Hammer Horror was really developing its aesthetic and its command on the horror scene and classic horror, this Pet Cemetery has a very Hammer vibe. It's very... Um, the cemetery itself is artificial and nothing about that removes it from the film. There is 
this oversaturation of color that makes everything in the surrounding area vibrant and alive. And that adds to that ominous element of like, this is where things go to die. And you can tell like which pieces were set design and which pieces are natural forest. But the way that they meld together makes this very surreal atmosphere for this film to take place in. There was this really weird moment, though. I don't know if anybody else got this vibe or if I'm just weird, but there's a moment where they're on their way to Barry Church at the top of the movie or whenever it fucking happens an hour in <laughs> um, where they're on their way and it looks like the same staircase that fucking Frodo and Sam used to get into Mordor. Yeah. And I like, I literally had to take a moment where I was like, Hey, that's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and it, it took me out of the, the movie for like one moment, but I had, I had a good chuckle about it because it looks like they're going up like a stone staircase and I could swear they just like cut it and paste it into this movie. <laughs> But everything you said about the atmosphere is also correct and valid. That does actually, yeah. Yeah, okay, see? Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, there's Mordor, there's Frodo and Sam on their quest. and But like their, the whole little journey, I thought, was, was very well executed in this one. Um, I do, though, however, like in the original, that it took all night for them to do that. And like the the image of like the sun is coming up and the deed is done in 89, I thought was very cool. Both of them do very well. The impact of like, they're, they're out there in these woods that are so incredibly vast. And like the pet cemetery is described to be on this guy's property. So like he goes up to the pet cemetery and beyond. So it's like, where are they even right now? And it, it really, it gave me, the, the heebie-jeebies because I was like they're beyond the scope of anything that is real like they're in some other place right now and I thought that was done really really well so can we talk about how fucking good the ending was yes I, I think that's where a lot of listeners are gonna flag us I'm... I, I see it's like one third of the podcast is about to flag the other two thirds <laughs> I'm I'm so torn on the ending. Um, I don't feel any movie has got it right. That that that's like I feel like it was this. Even though they made up the ending in this one, and no one should be like, but in the book and in the original, and they kept the original. I don't care what's in the book because Stephen King's not good at ending his own books. We all know this. <laughs> like The Shining. Come on, like there's a reason why the film was better than the book for the shining. It's because Missed they changed the ending. ending. Um, but I, I don't feel like, even though I feel like this was an improvement, it was a nice new idea. I thought it was cute, but it was also very cheesy and I didn't quite understand the purpose of it because it led away from them coming back as like this demon thing and coming back as like these undead creatures that still wanted to have a family like i i didn't quite understand yeah there definitely was a disconnect for me but it was almost like they were pandering to my exact tastes where it was like just campy and cheesy enough for me to be like okay this is like the ending that i needed um 
because it like totally like almost invalidates the the arc that ellie goes through of where she's trying to like get vengeance and right the wrong that she felt um and it was like definitely a very weird choice and a really weird feeling but when uh she is dragging her mom through the woods um with the intent to bury her and bring her back i turned to anthony and i was like hell yeah dude this rules um i was i was, was so excited scene, to be fair. it was I, absolutely and like where i do like having um the oh my god i keep calling her the wife but she is rachel because she's not the wife she's a character in the movie that's terrible of me um in in 89's pet cemetery having rachel get killed and having uh, you know a broken lewis like you know what like i'm burying her too like i might as well i've three for three um and having her come back and be you know all all mutated and have him go in for that kiss is is so poignant and beautiful and like this is a very broken man and this is all he has um this is like the exact opposite of that feeling where i was just like "Ah, ghoul family (laughs) (laughs) and I, I nothing could have prepared me for that. I did not know where they were going and having her be dragged through the woods. And I thought that like when um, Lewis gets pierced, I thought it was somebody that like a passerby was like, oh, I have to protect this little girl. Um, I think that's because we were tainted by how the prodigy ended. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, OK, that's what they're doing. And having it be the mom brought back was like threw me for a loop. And then going the extra step of like, oh, and then they buried him. And then he came back and ultimately culminating in, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to do this to Gage now as well. I was so lost in that moment. um, I almost like completely forgot about him. And so it is a very, very cool shot of the three of them walking out of the woods towards the car. And if then it cut to the door is open, bloody handprint on the window that I'm getting chills thinking about that. But like, uh, they kind of dropped the ball. I, I think a little bit on that execution, but having the, the ghoul family come together was just such a, a fun thing for me it was fun more than it was horrifying or scary for me um i think that element of the ghoul family coming together is beyond important in the scope of what pet cemetery is trying to convey but sometimes dead is better sometimes dead is better it does give a new meaning to that but (laughs) also so much of Pet Cemetery being about death and grief and what happens after we die and whether or not our loved ones still exist beyond that. I think it's that idea that death brings people together. So whereas this family does have this disconnect throughout, you have Rachel and Lewis fighting about how to raise their kids. You have Ellie not quite getting settled into her new home. You have Gage growing up and getting an understanding of what's happening in the world around him, but not quite distinguishing between, you know, life, death, reality, fiction. Finally, at the end of the film, they're all on the same page. They're all together in this idea that 
death brings people together. And this is where, like, I, I go back to that, like, Wendigo lore of, like, are they now all corrupted? Are they going to go on a big murder spree? Are they going to live in the house? They burn the house down. They burn down Judd's house. Oh. Gotta hide that evidence because they'll come to their house to find out where they are now living. I don't... I guess that's fair. It's a little more ambiguous. Um, and it, it definitely... It's kind of contradictory to them being like these like demons that like represent all of the dead it it suddenly contradicts that whole thing and makes them personable again like that's what i didn't really understand it is adorable don't get me wrong the idea of like a ghoul family is like you know a dream come true it's a fairy tale ending but exactly that's that's (laughs) excellently put a fairy tale ending to a horror movie is so beautiful But also, what the fuck? It's just completely contradictory. <laughs> so, like, I don't, I don't care if people get on our, on our case about it. I, it was, it was the right ending for me, and I do still cherish the, the '89 ending. Um, so, like, people that will argue with us about this, I get it. Please do not yell at me. <laughs> to be fair, whenever, like, I, I love the original. I've watched this many times. I always turn it off two minutes before the end because I cannot stand the ending. Of Pet Cemetery 2? No, of the original. Really? Yeah, it just, it makes me cringe because I'm just like, ugh, like, come on. Is it the pus or is it just like you don't like it? No, it's, I just just think it's really cheesy, like, oh, you brought her back, like, you sad, sad man. Like, I don't know, I get really annoyed about it. I'm just like, ugh. Really? That's how we're gonna end this? Oh no! Well, like... that, that's all he has. Like that just shows like how far he's been pushed. Cause like he was like, toy like um sort of playing with the idea. Like he uh after they bury the cat and the cat comes back, he's like clearly um disturbed and broken when he decides to bury his son there. And then when his wife ends up killed, he's like, I I guess I'll just pet cemetery her. I don't know. I, I totally get it. I just I think it's because I don't like Rachel's character at all in the original. <laughs> I was kind of like, why are you back, man? I got rid of you like yeah. ten minutes ago. Okay, you felt so... like the movie did you a disservice, <laughs> yeah. personally. <laughs> okay, no, I I get that. So we got two pet cemeteries and two kind of cheesy endings. So I, maybe this one did nail it. <laughs> I, I think it's <laughs> Oh man, I'm like crying. But I think anybody who wants to fight me on this being the superior film, come at me because on a technical, directorial, acting, story standpoint, this is the better pet cemetery. Yeah, so send criticisms to Anthony and send memes to me and Anna. <laughs> I mean, I, to be fair, I love both equally now, which is insane oh, because yeah. I adore the original. It's and but nostalgia aside, there is no denying that the remake is cinematically and technically a completely better film. And instead of like dis- remaking and destroying or retelling, they've completely done a service to what the original couldn't provide. 
Yeah, I, I agree. If you look at it as a reimagining rather than a remake, it, it both films have their their own merits and they can Absolutely. B- both be picked apart as we just did. Yeah. Um so again, I not not a dig on either of the movies. If you look at them separately, I think they're both fun. I Absolutely. Think they're they're both great. I just I, I can't recommend the the new one enough. I, I had so much fun with it. So I definitely think we had a lot more to say about Pet Cemetery than I thought we did. Yeah, holy um, shit. A lot of gonna, good stuff in there, too. <laughs> we're going to have to take us and make this a two-parter episode because um, I think it's going to be another hour. Um, so do you guys <laughs> want to wrap up with our Fear of the Day and recommendations? Yeah, let's 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 bring, in, bring us out. All right, Fear of the Day is... Seplophobia. Seplophobia? Seplophobia. How many Ps? Uh, one in sepla and one in phobia. Thank you. Two Anthony. P's. Get that oh, P. an S or a C? An S. I just wanted to ask a quick question. Um, <laughs> My questions have no bearing on whether or not I'm just trying to stall for time, <laughs> as I think, I guess. Um, is it fear of cemeteries? No. It's Uh-oh. the fear of rotting. It is. It's <gasps> the fear of rotting and decay. <gasps> Yeah, go on. I was fucking thinking like septic. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Two one now they do then. I'm killing it. Ooh, I have goosebumps. Feel my arm. Whoop. I'm I'm impressed with myself. So that'll that'll do it for for part one of our drive-in double ding dong. What do you call it? <laughs> our drive-in double feature. And. Uh, <laughs> tune in later this week for part two where we'll be discussing us as for popular request recommendations uh yeah i have um oh well i was telling you about those that i watched the other day i did um i watched something called butterfly kisses it is on i think amazon prime right now it's a found footage style uh horror film which you know, it gets a bad rap these days, but uh, I thoroughly enjoy it as a medium um, about a filmmaker who allegedly finds a bunch of tapes in his house where uh, after he moves into it. And on these tapes are a uh, student film about a uh, sort of creature called the Blink Man that follows you around. Uh, see it for yourself. I thoroughly enjoy it. And you know, make your own decisions about it. I know found footage people are either take it or leave it, but I that's me. So uh butterfly kisses. Have I recommended I sell the dead yet? I sell the dead? Yeah. No. Okay. So my recommendation is I sell the dead. Um which is a completely great film. Um, it's kind of like Burke and Hairstyle Story, uh, but uh, with zombies and undead things. It's got Angus Grimm in it, um, which is amazing because I think it's one of the few films I've seen Angus Grimm in apart from Phantasm, and he does a fantastic job. Um, but yeah, I don't kind of want to go too much into what it's about because it might spoil it. But I would definitely think that I Sell the Dead is a very underrated movie and it's aesthetically very beautiful. That sounds up my alley. You said it's like Burke and Hare 
style. Yeah, it's 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 really funny, but like also really gloomy and somber at the same time. Like it's it's a beautiful match. I'm in. That's like me hanging out with Anthony. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take that as a high compliment. Of course. What do you got for us, bud? Um, I don't think either of us have recommended this yet. We might have, and I might not remember, but the ritual. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to recommend The Ritual. Um, it ties a lot, a lot into what we were talking about with death and grief and that. Uh, wow, it really does. Holy shit. Yeah, personal bearings of said feelings toward death and grief um, with this element of Lovecraftian horror with these interdimensional beasts. <laughs> Um, but it's it's beautifully done. It's another aesthetically powerful piece. Um, and yeah, who doesn't love a good Lovecraft monster? And it's a Netflix original, yeah? Yes. Yep. Okay. Check that out. So like I said, uh, this has been the Hauntsville Cryptcast. Join us for part two where we'll be talking about us. I'm Doza. I'm Anthony. I'm Anna. Happy hauntings. See you in hell. <laughs>